Father, I thank you that you have revealed your truth to us in your word. You've revealed to us your truth in your son who died for us, rose from the dead, and is seated at your right hand. I thank you, Father God, that we can come together this morning as the body of Christ. We can encourage one another. We can celebrate the goodness of your kingdom and encourage one another with your revealed word. Father, as we go through this time this morning, be glorified in what we say and do. And I thank you, Father God, for each person here that knows you. And Father, I ask that those that we know, family members and friends that don't know you, Holy Spirit, draw them to the Son that they would know Jesus as Savior. And Father, I lift up the children this morning that go downstairs, that they would hear the truth, that they would be able to understand the gospel of Jesus. And I thank you, Father God, that we as a church have opportunity to take the truth to the next generations. Use us, Father God. And I thank you, Father God, that we have such a glorious future, all of eternity in your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Children, you may be excused to walk quietly, humbly, with honor to your parents. There was some information that was brought to my attention this morning, and it's very vital for the church, for the health of the church, and it's encouraging. So this is, this is very important information. Um, this is second service, so I, I hope that as second service attenders, you do get chocolate chip cookies. How many of you have a, had a chocolate chip cookie today? Whoa, some of you are really missing. There better be some more out there. Anyway, as you may know, Melissa cooks these really good chocolate chip cookies every week. They did some figuring. 28,400 cookies she's made. Yeah. She's, she's quite a gift. And Suede always tells me that he helps. Yeah. Right, yeah. This is our third week in our series, Heroes of the Faith. This is from Hebrews 11. And I am incredibly excited about this series. The more I, I dig in this, the more excited I get. We, we started this series with Abel, who by faith offered an acceptable worship to God. And last week we learned how Enoch walked by faith with God. His lifestyle was one of faith. And this week the hero is Noah. And I'll apologize up front because... In first service, I was informed by someone who will remain nameless that I kept saying Moses instead of Noah. So if I do that, just accept the fact that I don't always, brain doesn't always engage mouth. <laughs> Noah is our hero this week. So let's read the passage in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear... 
constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Fantastic man. So in our series, Abel, he, he, he illustrates worship of faith. Enoch illustrates the life of faith. And Noah, perhaps more than any other person in history, illustrates the obedience of faith. And that out of that obedience, there's good works. Noah was Enoch's great-grandson. So there's, there's some godliness that's been passed down. That's a lesson for us. We're at at least 1,500 years since God had created Adam and Eve. And over that time, the population on the earth has multiplied and evil has exploded. Sin is rampant on the earth. All human society is an offense to God. That's what we see. If you look in Genesis, we're going to be bouncing around a lot, so kind of pay attention. Genesis 6 is where you find Noah, beginning in verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That's a difficult passage because it almost sounds like God's changing his mind here, almost like he's admitting a mistake. We, we kind of read those words that way, regretted and grieved. But the statement in this verse, in verse 6, is it, God's not undoing anything. God is not changing his mind. The word regret, regretted, it communicates God's emotion. God's emotion. So God has emotions. The difference between his emotions and ours is that his emotions are perfect. Ours aren't. This kind of a statement of regretting and being grieved, it's very similar to a statement we need to understand from Jesus about Judas. Jesus makes a kind of one of these kind of statements in Matthew 26, verse 24. He says, The Son of Man goes as, as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So it's the same type of idea. It's a statement, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God's changing his mind or, or we can go down some, some paths that take us to a place that don't tell us really who God is. That last sentence helps us. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So is God saying, I wish I hadn't, born, I wish I hadn't created that guy? That's not what it means. That phrase was an everyday way to express consummate grief in Hebrew. So Jesus is using a Hebrew phrase that was common in that culture to express an emotion. Same thing in Genesis. He regrets it. Now let's go on in Genesis 6, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. So here we have 
another one of these places. He's sorry. Did he make a mistake? Is that why, is, that's why God's sorry? No. Regretting and, and sorry, they don't mean that God made a mistake or that he's changing his mind. The meaning is God is grieved about human's choice to sin. He's grieving about the condition of his creatures. And he's grieved because he's going to have to judge them. That's what that means. In, in Scripture, there's a couple of words that, that we need to kind of pay more attention to, and they're really cool. One of them's in the next verse. It's in verse 8, chapter 6 from Genesis, but. Another one that's similar to that is however. This one's really cool because in verse 8 it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That is amazing. There's so much encouragement in that. It is so fabulous. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor is from a masculine noun meaning favor or grace, acceptance. And I especially think that in the context here, Grace is really an important way we understand that favor because Noah is receiving unmerited favor from God, which is a concept that we usually understand as a New Testament concept. Noah is finding unmerited favor, grace from God. Let's skip ahead a little bit. Genesis 6, 12. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Judgment. So God does not give. At this point, you know, God's in this, this relationship with Noah that they're talking together. There's a, there's a conversation here. It's kind of one-sided because Noah, Noah doesn't say a whole lot. So God's speaking to Noah, but he doesn't give Noah any details yet. He doesn't give him any details of the judgment that's going to occur. But God does give him more information. He gives him specific instructions. I'm going to destroy the earth, and here's what you're going to do. Verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So God has given him instructions. I'm going to judge the earth. Here's what you're going to do. And then he gives him the reason why. This thing, this ark that Noah is to build. It's not shaped like a boat or a ship. It's more like blocks. It has no propeller. 
It has no rudder, no, couldn't steer it. It was 438 feet long, 73 feet high, and uh, why, why do I even do this? I mean, you know, there's some days. 438 feet long, 73 feet wide, and 44 feet high. That means this, this arc is around one and a half times the length of a football field and more than four stories high. And they estimate it would have had a deck area of almost 96,000 square feet. This, this is quite a deal. We now know from research that's been done by naval engineers that this shape, the, the ratio that we have here, height, width, all that kind of stuff, is the most stable ship design known. Nothing else you do would be more stable than this out at sea. Amen. We also have to understand that this stable ship design was perfect because the God was not designed for maneuverability. Noah didn't have to steer this to Mount Ararat. He didn't get to do that. There wasn't any part of that. It just needed to be stable. It was designed for stability to protect its cargo. That's the design. So in this story, we've got supernatural judgment coming. All living creatures are going to be destroyed. Only the, the creatures in, in the water are going to survive. But everything on the earth is going to perish. It's easy for my mind to go to a place where I, I think Noah is undone. I, 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 this is extremely difficult. I mean, how can this be possible? Hey, can you put yourself in Noah's place? And you hear this from God, I'm going to destroy everything. God goes on and gives Noah even more details. Verse 19, and every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kind and of the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Put yourself in Noah's place. In his mind, I can, I can just... I can just this is where my mind would go. Just, God, I hear you, but just exactly how am I going to get two of every kind of animal, bird, and creeping thing into this thing? And by the way, does that mean mosquitoes? Come on. And, and, and those thoughts, I mean, if you put yourself in Noah's place, I mean, really? Worldwide, worldwide judgment? That's difficult, but a flood? What, uh, what is that? You know, God, I want to be obedient to you, and I, I love you, and I, I've given myself to you, but I don't know what you're talking about. Because there's never been one before. Uh, rain, same thing. What, what, what are you talking about? Rain? There hadn't been any. Many scholars believe that there was a mist that had always watered the earth until this time. So when you stop and think about this from his perspective, Noah's faith was incredible. 
I mean, honestly. What would you think if God came to you and said, I want you to build this thing in your backyard? And all the animals, you know, you're going to have to help me, you know, help get all these animals in there. What is, what, are you, where are you going to go with that? And I also think that we could honestly say that it'd be easy to just go, could, God, um, I don't want to be disrespectful, but could, could you go over that one more time? Um, rain, flood, float, boat, ark, two of every kind of animal? God? Now, put yourself into that and then think about 622 because I think this is so amazing. This is so remarkable. This is perhaps one of the greatest statements of faith in all of Scripture, possibly in human history. And it's simple. It says, Noah did this. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So yeah, in his mind, he may have all these confusing thoughts and like, okay, I'm not sure how this is... Do I even know what a gopher tree is? I, I don't, I, how am I going to do this? But he doesn't stay there. He goes and did it. Noah responded to God's word. And so what we see in Noah is that obedience to God's word is always a characteristic of true faith. We can apply that to ourselves. There's something else that happened with this faith of Noah that I think we gloss over because the story of the animals in the ark is so big. Noah was a preacher. Noah proclaimed some things. I know that from 2 Peter 2.5. Noah rebuked the evil world around him. It says, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. A herald. That's what it says. The Spirit of God didn't make a mistake. He actually used that word, and that word is trans, it translates from a word that could also be preacher, and in some of your Bibles, it will say preacher. A preacher of righteousness. He was such a man of God that he's, he's proclaiming God's perfectness, his message to the people around him. And not only that, but his life was so unique that it was a rebuke to the wicked people around him. Everybody saw Noah and went, there's something really different about him. And what was different was he was a righteous man. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, when I think of the action that's associated with faith, I think one of the greatest practical acts of faith in all history occurs. We don't have it in Scripture, but it's implied. What is that act? So Noah's got this great, great faith. What does he do? He goes out and he finds a gopher tree and he cuts it down. That is an incredible act of faith. And it's demonstrated, his faith is demonstrated by cutting that first tree down. Noah was warned about God, about things not yet seen. Does that sound familiar from our definition of of faith in in Hebrews 11? 
What is faith? The evidence of things not seen, right? No, I had never seen rain. No, I didn't know what a flood was. There never been a flood. There wasn't enough rain. I mean, the rain didn't exist, so there was no flood. Noah responded to God's message by faith. And then, then there's this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What's the assurance? The assurance is that his family are going to be saved. He's going to respond in obedience. He's going to build the ark, and his family's going to be saved. But he doesn't see that when he starts, does he? And he's got to have some faith that that thing's actually going to float. Have you ever thought about that? What if God asked you to build a boat in your backyard? And you, and you start cutting trees down in the neighborhood and you, and, you, and you build a boat. And then you take it over to Glendale and shove it in. You're, is it going to float? I don't know. By faith, Noah built an ark. There were no plans. God gave him dimensions. He, he didn't get instructions on how, how the boards all fit together. No one had to figure that out. There were no blueprints. What was Noah going on? God's word. Now, that's his spoken word. There's, there's a relationship thing that's happening here that's a little different because it's very possible Noah and God spoke to one another in a very different way than we speak with God with our prayers, and God speaks to us. What's the principal way He speaks to us? Through His Word, through this. So, so God's Word is here. So God's Word to Noah, that was more direct. And He responds. He had God's Word, and that was sufficient. In Hebrews chapter 11... Verse 7, it tells us that Noah built the ark in reverence. Reverence is from the Greek eulobia, and it means pious care or concern. Reverence here is a sense of genuine spiritual devotion. He treated the message of God with great awe, reverence. Back in Genesis Chapter 6, verse 9, it says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. So he's totally different than the, than the rest of the entire population of the earth. It says that Noah walked with God. That was his lifestyle. He was a man of obedient faith. To have those things written in Scripture about him meant that he was a man of obedient faith even before God called him to build the ark. He had been faithful over smaller things, demonstrating his faith. And now God gave him a great big thing of faith to do. It says that Noah was blameless in his time, and he walked with God. So he's special and unique. But at the same time, we also know from Scripture that he's just like us. He was still a sinner. Noah was just, we know he was a sinner because of his drunkenness after the flood. But he had God's favor, God's grace. Noah was counted righteous. He was justified by God's grace, 
because of faith. Remember, God is not obligated to to save a single person. He doesn't have to save anybody. He wills to save those who believe in his son. That's his will. He takes our faith and by his grace counts it as righteousness. So there's this grace-faith thing going on. And there's a faith-obedience thing going on. We learn from Noah's faith that to God, trust, faith, and obedience are inseparable. They, you, can't, you can't say that you have faith and, and then just not do anything. This is James's point. God wants all who belong to him to trust and obey, just like Noah. He wants us to trust him as we go through today's trial, whatever that would be. He wants us to trust him while we're fighting temptation. He wants us to trust him as as we go through the decision-making process of every day and be obedient. So we know that we're to worship God correctly, like Abel, and we're to walk like God, our lifestyles to be one of faith, like Enoch. And believers are to obey God, like Noah. The life of every believer, I, I, I think it's really true that every believer, God gives an ark to build, or arks. Maybe your life has a flotilla of arks. We are expected by God to build the ark God has given us. Our ark may not be as massive as Noah's, but we build what God gives us in faith. And building what he gives us to build by faith, that pleases God. Remember in our passage in Hebrews, without faith it's impossible to please God. So God says, here's what I want you to do. And you do it. That pleases God. There is a plan and a purpose for each believer. And I I extend that to every person that's ever existed. God has a plan and a purpose for everyone. And when we're obedient like Noah, our our efforts accomplish what God desires. You're a part of what he's doing. The ark God intends for each of us to build may look foolish, and at times, sometimes God will ask us to do stuff, and we kind of go, what? What? You want me to share Jesus with who? That would be in the middle of the grocery store. So it's kind of foolish? Okay, well... If God asks you to build a, an ark someplace, that might look really foolish to the world around you as well. But God has a plan. And believers please God through obedient faith. Do you see that in Noah? I mean, what would the people in your neighborhood think if you started building something this massive in your backyard? Um, hey, you know, that doesn't line up with our homeowners association rules. Do you have a zoning permit for that? 
the things of God don't look normal to the people around us, especially people who are influenced by the spirit of this age. God still wants us to be obedient by faith. I came up with three observations about Noah's faith. First one, Noah obeyed God's word. This is foundational. This is fundamental. He was obedient even when what God spoke was way beyond understanding, experience, or comprehension. He didn't know anything about sailing. He didn't know anything about an ocean, a flood, and all that. He didn't know what... He didn't have to. Noah built a 15,000-ton seagoing vessel. It took him 120 years. And he had only really one reason that he was doing that. God told him to. God told him judgment would come. And that he would save him through this ark. That's the reason. Noah did not have to understand He did not have to understand all the details. He didn't have to have all of the information that God could have given him. He only had to trust what God said. We we find ourselves in the same place. What did God say in Scripture? That's what we have. That's what we're going to go with. He only had to trust what God said. So do we. Believers walk by faith and not by sight. An example... We all in, in here that are saved, if you're, if you're saved here today, you're trusting God for an eternity in heaven with God and all that glory, right? We don't have all of the details. We don't have all of the information about that. But we certainly believe it's going to happen, and we're trusting God that it will. Second, Noah's faith produced action. One of those actions is he preached to the world around him as he built the ark. Noah announced God's coming judgment. So isn't it interesting? He's he's talking about God's righteousness. He's talking about God's holiness. He's talking about God's judgment. That's what I see Noah doing. And, And maybe he's doing that while he's hauling gopher wood planks or he's smearing pitch or... He's trying to figure out, okay, how do, I, how do I get up there to make a window? What's a window? We see this idea of him preaching in verse 7. It says he condemned the world. Well, how is he condemning the world? He's telling them about God's righteousness, and he's telling them about the coming judgment. And for 120 years, while he's building this thing, he's preaching this message of the coming judgment and the righteousness of God. And the only escape anyone would have from the wrath of God would be to repent and believe God. Even then. You want to be saved? You repent and you accept God. You you do what God says. So Noah preaches for 120 years. And he had no converts that we know of in Scripture. Did he still do it? And the answer is yes. So there's two actions. He preached. He preached truth, and he built. He was obedient. There's there's action to his faith. Third, Noah received God's righteousness by faith and became an heir of righteousness. Heir of righteousness. 
That sounds like it's from the New Testament. That sounds like Paul wrote it. Noah believed, and righteousness was imputed to him. That's really what's meant there in Genesis 6-8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, then, is an Old Testament illustration of justification by faith. Justification by faith, that's always been God's plan. It's not just New Testament thing. The great doctrine of justification is that to the one who believes what God has revealed, God will grant righteousness and cover the, believers, the believer with his own righteousness and view that person as blameless. That's what's going on with Noah. Those are three important things for us to keep in mind about faith. Now, Noah was warned about a coming judgment. God has also told us there's going to be another worldwide judgment. It's coming. The proportions of the coming judgment are even greater than the flood. This is going to be the one that's coming is a judgment by fire. Peter tells us this, 2 Peter 3.10, but the, the, day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Judgment is coming. Jesus describes these coming events. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He makes another comparison. Verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the, on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There is a judgment of fire coming. In that passage in Luke, Jesus is teaching that the people of Noah's day were totally depraved, but they weren't at all concerned about their depravity. They continued with their lives without a single thought of God's judgment. That's why he says, drinking and marrying, carrying on, okay? God has provided an ark for the coming judgment as well. So in Noah's time, there's going to be a judgment, and here's my ark. What's our ark? The ark is Christ. The only way to survive the coming judgment is through Christ. Amen. The only safe place when the judgment that's coming arrives is the ark of faith. Faith in the word of God. Faith in the revelation of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. He is our ark. Amen. Man, Jesus is the ark. Doesn't matter what the judgment is. 
If we believe in Jesus, we're on the ark. Jesus says something else about this coming time. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's coming. Be ready. How are we ready? By faith. And it's obvious that the world in which we live right now is rapidly becoming like the world in the time of Noah. That's what we see. That's what we hear. It's, it's rapidly becoming detestable to God. There is a coming judgment. Are we by faith ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Father, thank you that you've given us your word, your truth. I thank you, Father God, that through your truth, we can be ready for the coming judgment. Father, forgive us when we live in doubt. Forgive us when we're not obedient to what you've spoken to us. Jesus, thank you for being our ark, our savior. Father, I ask that you would use each one of us as you see fit. Holy Spirit, stir us up in such a way that we take the message of the gospel everywhere we go, knowing that there is a coming judgment. Give us the courage and the obedience to speak the words about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that people will be able to be on the ark, on Jesus, in Jesus. Use us. Use us as a church, as a people. And I thank you that we can rejoice. We can look beyond the coming judgment and know that we will be in the glory, the incredible, awesome glory of heaven for all of eternity because of the work of Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Amen.